Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this place to worship in the, in the body of believers that you pull together to give glory to your name. We pray that as we look into your word this morning that you will you'll teach us, you'll move us, and you'll help us to see how we can follow you better. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're, we're in our study of Acts, continuing on. Uh, Sunday school lesson this morning was from Acts 16, and also our message today will be from that. I'm not going to really have the same exact focus. There's so much going on in, in that chapter that we could do many sermons on this and um, not overlap too much. Um, I'm going to read pieces of this and then, and then walk through my, my outline as I do that. Um, but before I get started, I kind of want to just tell you in advance the points that I, that I want to focus on and, and ask you to listen for as we walk through it. There's a few things that, that I want to make sure we, we consider. The first one is that, that God cares about individuals and He uses them in His plan. God cares about individuals and He uses them in His plan. He does have a broad view of, of all of humanity, but He also cares about individuals. And we see individuals in this chapter take a, a prominent role in the, in the narrative. God has general plans and specific plans. So he gives us general instructions, and then sometimes he gives us specific instructions. We see both in this chapter. And we'll look into that a little bit. One, one core thing that we see here playing out, and, and JJ's probably going to talk more about this next week. We hit it last week in Sunday school. But we can compromise on some cultural things. We cannot compromise on the truth of the gospel. And that... That's a principle that I'll talk a little bit about as, uh, as it plays out with Paul and Timothy and Titus. Um, and then the other thing that I want to hit really quickly is that always, no matter what we're doing, we must be giving praise and thanks. Um, when circumstances are good and when circumstances are bad, we can see that from Paul and Silas in this chapter. With that said, let's start. I'm reading, I'm starting in chapter 15. Um, towards the end, I want to read one verse in there just to kind of set the stage for what comes after. So chapter 15, verse 36 of Acts, it says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now I'm skipping ahead to chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Let me, let me just start here. Uh, this this kind of goes to the principle about compromising on, on uh, culture but not truth. Um, and I want to hit this because, because at, on the surface this can look like an inconsistency. We, we looked into this last, last week in Sunday school. All of, all of Acts 15 is focused on this issue of the Judaizers trying to tell 
believers, you gotta become you gotta become proper Jews before you can become Christians. That's just the logical step. And the only way you can become a proper Jew is to get circumcised and then start following all the laws. And this became quite a controversy and led up to a council of, of the leaders of the faith in Jerusalem where they, they came together and they concluded no. No, circumcision is not required to be a Christian. And, and the only thing that they asked the Gentiles to do were just a few simple things. Refrain from eating, eating uh, sacrifices, um, blood sacrifices, and, and refrain from sexual immorality. And that's, it's just about that simple for them behaviorally. Um, because the, the message of the gospel is that Jesus' blood paid for salvation. So your works and your following the rules does not help you. It doesn't pay for anything. And so a Gentile does not have to become a Jew. This was a big, big deal. And, and Peter and Paul both brought testimony to the council that they had observed in the Gentiles the Spirit coming and the Spirit saving people without the works preceding it. And so they had to make this, this case really strongly to the, to the Jewish believers and some Jews who called themselves believers but were actually false brothers. So we see this thing where Paul spends all his energy and Peter spends all his energy saying circumcision isn't required. And then we flip to the very next chapter and what does Paul do? Well, the verse says that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew his father was Greek. So it looks like Paul's doing the very thing that he accuses others of doing, of caving in to a cultural demand. It looks like he's just weakly caving in and saying, oh, fine, Timothy, get circumcised. Um, we'll just cave in. But in fact, in fact, he's not. Um, and I want to I talk really, really for a few minutes about the, the difference between what happened with Timothy and another example of what Paul did with Titus. Because what Paul did with Titus contrasts what he did with Timothy to the point where it looks very inconsistent. Um, actually, Paul, at, the, at that council... Paul had uh, Titus there, who was a Greek, a full Greek, a Gentile. And he specifically did not insist that Titus become circumcised. And so Titus, the Gentile, went uncircumcised but was accepted as a believer. And yet Timothy asks, or, uh, Paul asks Timothy to become circumcised. Well, the, there's a couple differences here. And we want to go through them. I want to go through them because it, it highlights the, the principle at stake. Timothy as it tells us in the scripture, was actually the son of a Jewish woman. Now, now in, in Jewish tradition, that is, is reckoned by your mother. And so to be the son of a Jewish woman is to be a Jew. And so he was considered Jewish, even though his father was a Greek, and that's true. The other thing about his situation is that his father, being a Greek, did not allow him to be circumcised. And so, so Timothy, being a Jew from his mother... And then later, we see in 16, he was actually a, a disciple and actually a believer. But he'd never been circumcised because his father hadn't allowed it. Um, now, Timothy's Timothy was already a disciple here in chapter 16, verse 1, but uncircumcised. So we can clearly see Paul is not expecting circumcision as a condition of salvation. Um, so for Titus, Paul said, no, he doesn't need to be circumcised. For Timothy, he did ask him to be circumcised. Why was, why was Titus not? To make a strong point. This man is a believer. He's uncircumcised and he's staying that way. And he's our brother. 
And that, that was to teach everyone that, that the gospel is the powerful thing here. That Jesus' blood saves and not this man's circumcision and his following Jewish law. So both of these decisions actually, in a, in a sense, focus on other people. Okay? And I want to talk about, so why was Timothy circumcised then? Well, because Timothy was going to go with Paul and minister to Jews. Unbelieving Jews who hadn't really heard the message. But, he, but Timothy had a reputation already in that region. He was known to be Jewish. And he was known to be the son of a Greek father and uncircumcised. So he had a little bit of a, a scandal, a little bit of a reputation that surrounded him. And so Paul wanted to just eliminate that. We're going to take that off the table because we're going to, reach, we're going to go reach Jewish people. And we want, to, we want not to have a controversy over this. Um, over this Jewishness, this Jewish question. But for the Gentile, we're not going to make him do it because we're going we're gonna to stand on the gospel. So, so with Timothy, is, is Paul not standing on the gospel? That's the question I think that's really important. Is he being weak? No. In fact, what, what he's doing is exercising freedom and he's exercising um, a, a self-sacrifice, really, to have, to have Timothy... Um, undergo this when he doesn't have to for the sole reason of not being an obstacle to his ministry, to his mission. Because the mission was more important than Timothy's comfort. So we see that um, Paul was consistent on one thing. The principle matters more than the culture. He, and he fact, in fact says, I'll be, a, I'll be all things to everyone um, for the sake of the gospel. Now I want to read for a minute, stepping back to the scripture. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go, into, go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. If you're like me and not an expert in Middle Eastern geography, that was a whole lot of places that don't mean anything to me at first glance. So, so I was thinking about how, how do I think about this? Because it's not obvious to me that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia because they were forbidden to speak the word in Asia. Okay, I think of Asia as China and Japan, but that's not, a, that's not the Asia we're talking about here. Asia, in this context, is a Roman state. It's a Roman province, and it's actually the western portion of modern-day Turkey is the, the land that we're talking about. It's about the size of Arkansas. So we could kind of think of this as, as well, Paul and, and Timothy went up from Murfreesboro, and they went down to Memphis, and there they found Timothy. And they went from Timothy up to Dyersburg, but, but the Spirit prevented them from going any further. And so the Spirit pre preventing them from going to Arkansas, they went on past Little Rock, and they went to Tulsa. So see, we've got, we've, that's about the kind of space we're talking about, and that's the kind of movements we're talking about, is that for whatever reason, the Spirit has not said, go through Asia right now. Not right now. Maybe later. Certainly for later, because we see Galatia is actually in Asia. Just like Little Rocks in Arkansas. And Paul's going to write a letter to the Galatians because, because of the church there. Okay? So we know 
God wants the Spirit in Asia. The Spirit wants to be in Asia, but now's not the time. And so what's, what's our principle from this? We, we know that God has general instructions and sometimes specific instructions. Um, the Holy Spirit is actively, actively guiding Paul. And he's preventing him from going into these certain places, Asia or Bithynia. But he's calling him in a vision to go to Macedonia, which is where Philippi is. Another place where he's going to start a church. So, uh, when, he, when, he gets, uh, when he gets to Philippi, and we talked about this in Sunday school. And there, there's a, a lot of things that happen in Philippi. And I love what, what Sarah said. I'll, I'll probably bring that back up because it's a... It's a really succinct and beautiful summary of what happens here in Philippi. But they come and they don't find a place to worship because their pattern was to go to the synagogue, but there's no synagogue there. So they, they look around for some place to find and they find these women praying at the river. And so talking about the gospel at this place, they find that, that Lydia, who is already someone who's worshiping God and honors God, but she hasn't heard the gospel and Paul shares the gospel in that context. And she comes to faith. But, but it specifically tells us that the Lord opened her heart. To pay attention to what Paul was saying. And, and we see that God has a purpose in that. So, so Paul was out here looking in a general sense. And, and I want to kind of clarify. Did, did Paul send them on this mission? Or did God send them on this mission? Sort of. You know, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And that, that did happen. But this second missionary trip, how did it start? Just like we said at the beginning, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That is the beginning of their trip. That's Paul saying, let's go. Let's go see how people are doing. And so they didn't wait. They didn't wait for a specific word then. They just went. They went to see how the brothers were doing. But once they were underway, God gave them a specific instruction. He said, stop here. And then he said, stop here. And then he gave Paul this vision of this Macedonian that came to him in this vision and said, come over and help us. That's in Greece. Crossing over from Turkey over into Greece. And, uh, and so they see that Lydia, God had a purpose there. Lydia was the first one. Um, then we see that Paul drove a demon out of a girl who was practicing divination. Um, and I won't go into this too much. We, we talked about it a lot in Sunday school. But, but this girl had a spirit of divination. And Paul, Paul could see it. But she was following them around and mocking them. But, but the words that she was using to mock them were true. That they were servants of God. And they were, they were preaching the truth. The salvation message. But she was mocking them. And it, and it was so interesting because it says that Paul was annoyed. Paul was annoyed. And almost out of annoyance cast the demon out of her. Can, it, it's just hard to even think about how God uses, how God uses things. Um, it wasn't like God told him... Go and you'll find a slave and you're going to cast this demon out of this girl. This girl was like following him and being annoying. And Paul just said, out, get out. Demon. But what it did when he did that is it freed her. It freed her in two ways. And um, she, was no longer, she was no longer captivated by this spirit. But then that made her financially worthless to her owners because she was getting paid for, for this divination. 
And so her, she was a slave, but now she was not a useful slave. So she got freedom there too. We see um, this, this led, of course, to, uh, to uh, Paul and, and Silas being in trouble with the law because they'd taken away this income from these people. Um, and so I'm just going to walk through this. That they, they were then arrested, as we see in the text. Um, I'm going to skip the Lydia text, and I want to read about the, uh, the uh, Paul and Silas in, in jail. So after, after they had driven, driven out the demon, the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, and they seized them, Paul and Silas, and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Stocks are, uh, stocks are like these wooden contraptions that basically you, you, they got holes in them. You've probably seen them. Uh, maybe in a in a amusement park or some kind of museum place. Put your the, you put your feet in there and they close the lid down. And now you can't move. You're stuck. And um, so they after they had beaten them soundly, they put them in stocks, which is a humiliating and exposed place to be. They're in jail. They're in stocks. Very painful and very humiliating. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. And so the... Uh, the, jailers, the, the jailer was, was worried. The reason that he drew his sword was that it was his duty as a jailer to keep the men in prison securely. And so when the earthquake happened and everyone was freed, he just assumed everyone had run off, which meant that he had failed his duty, which meant that he was, he was now um, exposed to punishment from his authorities. So he was going to kill himself and just save them the trouble and save him the, the pain of it. But then he found out that they were still there. They hadn't left. And in fact, they, they stayed and, and shared the gospel with him, and he now was saved. And, and so this is, a, this is an amazing thing. We see this earthquake happening, and clearly um, this is just an absolute miracle. The, the, earthquake, the earth, earthquakes are not specific and, and targeted enough to unlock manacles and, and to fix and to, to release stocks. Earthquakes break things and tear things down, but they don't just open prisons. God was in that earthquake. 
God made those things happen specifically because he wanted to. It was, and I believe God used the earthquake to let everyone who, who was there know this wasn't just a, a breakout attempt by some other people. God did it. God did it. And, and so we see that God used this to get the, the jailer's attention. Now we've seen Lydia, a woman, a female, a Gentile, and probably wealthy because it says she sold purple things, which were expensive, expensive dye. We see this slave girl, and now we see this Roman jailer, all come, all, uh, all addressed. And, and uh, Ralph was very, was very uh, attentive in Sunday school. Um, it doesn't actually say that the slave girl came to faith. It doesn't actually tell us that, so we don't know that. Um, maybe she did, and I, I hope that she did. But we see Lydia definitely came to faith. And we see the jailer came to faith. And we see that Paul and Silas were able to free this girl from demonic possession. And make her of no use as a slave to her, to her owners. So we, I hope that she was saved. But we see that, that God is reaching out now to Gentiles. Where before his focus was on the people of Israel and the Jews. And now he's reaching directly to, to, to Gentiles. Um, so... What do I want to say about this? We have, um, we have Paul and Silas in jail. And what does it say they're doing? After, about midnight, they're praying and singing hymns. And when I think about them praying and singing hymns, it makes me think, well, what were they not doing? What would I have been doing if I was in jail in stocks? Well, they weren't questioning their mission or second-guessing what they should have been doing. They didn't, they didn't, they're not saying, man, why did I lose my cool and drive the demon out of that girl? I really screwed up, now we're in jail. They're not saying that. They're not questioning God's plan and purpose for their lives. They've encountered some real hardship, significant hardship. And they're not saying, oh, maybe God's not in this. Because I'm uncomfortable. And maybe God's not here. Maybe God doesn't want us. Why did we even come here? They're not saying that. Not saying that at all. They're not wondering what did they do to deserve this. They're not, they're not questioning, oh, am I guilty? Have I done something to offend God and now He's punishing me? That's not, that's not where they are. They are not cursing the Romans who mistreated them. And they were mistreated. They're not spending any time or energy on cursing the people who have mistreated them. They're not, they're not nursing their anger at the injustice. And injustice has been done here. But they're not dwelling on that. What are they doing? At midnight, after being beaten, in stocks, in jail, they're praying and singing hymns. That is what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing when things are going well. And that's what we should be doing when things aren't going well. Praying and singing hymns. That is, that is showing God that we trust Him. That we know He's in, he's in our lives. And we know that He has us. No matter if we're uncomfortable at the time. No matter if we're suffering injustice. And what were the other people around them doing? Well, the other prisoners were listening. And brothers and sisters, believe me, the people around you are listening. And if your mouth is speaking complaint, if your mouth is, is questioning God's, um, God's purpose, people hear it. And if your mouth is singing God's praise, people hear it. People hear it. And God will move in that. God will use your words. <clears throat> um. 
So I wanted, I wanted to uh, kind of walk through as a narrative those things and then just kind of hit and, and recap, hit a few things, a few points that I didn't make already. So God cares about the individuals and uses them in his plan. Timothy's mother is, is only mentioned briefly here, but her name was Eunice. God cares about individuals. Eunice, Eunice was one of these. And what did she do? She raised Timothy in the Word. That's what she did. It doesn't say that she went on a major mission. It doesn't say that she did anything really remarkably supernatural, but she raised Timothy in the Word. And then God used Timothy. Timothy's the first second generation Christian that's mentioned in the Scripture. And so Eunice is actually very important because of what she did. She was faithful, quietly faithful with Timothy. Timothy becomes a missionary and Paul's companion and a pastor and later in his life. Now, Timothy himself would go on and become a very significant person in the faith. Now, Lydia, a woman, a businesswoman in this community, they, they addressed her as an individual. God addressed her as an individual. But what happened? Immediately, as soon as she came to faith, so did the rest of her household. She influenced them. And they, and they, they came along with her. The jailer, a Roman, right? He was convicted by God's mercy on him. He, he knew he was as good as dead, except that Paul didn't leave. So he didn't have to be dead. But he knew that he should have been. And so he came to faith. And what happened when he came to faith? It says his, his household did too. So there are times that we focus on individuals and times to preach to the masses. Neither is more important than the other. They're both important. Because sometimes it's, it's the individual you're interacting with that will go and, and visit the masses. And so who is God telling you to share his gospel with? Because God may use that person. And we had a... In our Bible study this week, we had a question we were looking at. And it said, it said how, how can you find comfort if you're the only believer in your group? Whether that's if you're the only believer in your family. If you're the only believer in the people that you work with. How do you find comfort in that? If you're the only one. And, w- and what I said, we talked about this. And, and what the conclusion was, well, don't say, just change, change it. I'm not the only one. I'm just the first one. Right? Because God puts you there for a reason. So don't worry about, oh, I'm the only one. You're the first one. God's got more in store. Now God has general plans and specific plans. We see that Paul and Silas went on their missionary trip without any specific direction. But once they were on their trip, they got, they got specific direction. And as a kind of an illustration, I remember I was never in the military. But I've got a lot of friends at work who were. And, and I love this because... One of, one of the guys that, that used to be in the Navy, he told me they had this saying in the Navy. I don't know if any of you are Navy people. You can confirm or deny this. But he said they had a little saying. If it moves, salute it. If it doesn't move, pick it up. If you can't pick it up, paint it. That was, that was the general guidance for Navy life. If it moves, salute it. If, you, if it doesn't move, paint it. Or pick it up. If you can't pick it up, paint it. And so... What, I, what I'm trying to say by this is that that is general guidance for Navy life. It doesn't override a mission, right? If you, if you are on a mission, 
You're going to be attacking. You're going to be defending. You're going to be doing whatever you do. But there are quiet times when you don't have a specific mission. And what do you do in those times? Salute it. Pick it up or paint it. Right? As Christians, we have a similar thing going on. There, we, have, we have a whole Bible full of things to, to tell us how to live. Not all the things are specific to us as, as far as a particular mission that we're to be on. But we are to love each other all the time. We're to speak words of truth and encouragement to each other all the time. Amen. Right? We, we are to participate in each other's lives. Bring, bring rebuke sometimes, but bring encouragement all the time. Bring love. Right? We're to, we're to be working and diligent and, and using the time that we have all the time. And then sometimes we get specific calls. But we don't waste the time in between waiting for a specific call and doing nothing. Right? That's, that's this Navy saying. You, you better be doing something. And, and God's given us plenty to do without a specific call. But then when we get the specific call, we can't, we can't invert that. And we can't say, oh, gosh, Admiral, I don't have time to go on your mission. I'm painting and picking things up right now. No, because that's the thing we do when we don't have a specific mission. Right? And so we, we would never put off God's specific mission for us because we're, we're doing the things that we ought to be do, doing normally. Um, we talked about... Um, we talked about compromising on culture, but not on God's truth. I think that's really important for us to think about. Um, it's, we, we have to be always vigilant about understanding the things that we have that we hold because of our culture versus the things that we have and hold because we're actually Christians. And, and it's, uh, it's good. I know that uh, Sarah and, and Rachel and... Weston, you've been to that, the, the summit ministries where they, they kind of help crystallize and help you think about your culture. But we need to be thinking about our culture because, because the culture seeps into us. We live in it and we take in things that we don't even realize we've taken in. And expectations and norms, but they're, they're not necessarily Christian. We need to, we need to make a distinction between what, what God's word says and what our culture says. Not all the things in culture are bad, but we can't elevate them to the ultimate. And Paul, Paul shows us that with how he handled Timothy and Titus. With Timothy, he let Timothy be circumcised. Why? So that it wouldn't be an obstacle to the mission. With Titus, he, he refused to let him be circumcised. Why? To make the point that the gospel is, is the primary truth. Do you have cultural preferences that you're tempted to elevate to absolutes? Do you have, are there absolutes truths that you're tempted to compromise on? Either way, either way, we get in trouble. And then finally, I want to just encourage that no matter what, just like Paul and Silas in jail, no matter what's happening, praise and thanks are to be the mode that we live in all the time. And when I, when I say that, believe me, I'm preaching to me because that is not my normal go-to. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a complainer and I like to be comfortable and I, I like things to go my way. And Paul and Silas were not having things going their way. And they were not complaining. They were praising. They were giving thanks. And it, and it bore such dividends because they did. Now in this message, in this uh, chapter, we haven't 
we haven't really directly talked too much about the gospel itself. But Paul and Silas were on a mission for the gospel. It's kind of a, the subtext of the whole thing. And I don't, I don't want to walk away without just directly saying what the gospel is. The message that Paul and Silas were taking to, to the, the Greeks and the Romans was just this. That humanity has been found guilty of rebelling against their creator. And the only reasonable penalty for rebelling against your creator is to be destroyed. That's the bad news. The gospel, which is the good news, is this. Your creator loves you enough to make a way that you don't have to be destroyed. And that's, that's what Jesus did. He paid the price for your crimes, your crimes of rebellion against your creator. Jesus paid for those. And so his blood paid for you to be found um, righteous before God. That's the message that they were taking through, uh, through Turkey. That's the message that's still true to us today. Gentiles, all of us, I think. And, and we should be so grateful that God didn't stop with the Jews. But he's, he let the message go to the Gentiles. Because it's still spreading today. 